I am so glad to be back. Uh, missed you guys last week, but we were in Haiti and saw God do some amazing things. Um, you know, Jim travels, uh, Jim Zelensky. If you don't know Jim Zelensky, Teresa, you guys need to meet them, but they, he travels there a lot. And, you know, what we realized was our Haitian friends uh, have been sad because we haven't been able to see them because our State Department has issued like a level four travel warning, which is the same level as Iraq. Okay, so it's a little serious. But they're like, it kind of hurts them. Like, wait, like Iraq? There's no terrorists here. And so anyway, for us to go and to see them, they felt loved by that. They felt that we took the risk and we uh, went and saw them. And, and you know, it was awesome as we got to see uh, the third class of graduating from our little Bible school down there. Uh, we got to celebrate the brand new inauguration of this, we call it Mountain Church. And for those of you, I don't know, in second service, how many of y'all were with us and digging that hole in the side of the mountain and saw where that thing started in Haiti? I know James and Becky, you guys saw it. Like, We had literally carved a church into the side of a mountain where nobody would go. And now there's, a, uh, there's actually a, a kitchen there, a latrine. There's a church building. There's classrooms. And in this city on a hill uh, that you all made possible is this amazing uh, church. So anyway, would you open your Bibles to the book of Mark, chapter 5? I figured what better way to kick off the summer than a message about the devil? As you're reading, we're going to read verses 1 through 20. I want you to remember something. Uh, we had dinner with Tom and Lori Carr, and Tom was saying that he really loved this because everything you're about to see for this one man was Jesus. Remember, they went across the sea. There was a storm. They almost died. There was this whole production for one man. So what do you think Jesus would do for you? Right through this whole thing just for this one man. So verse 1 says, They went across the lake to the region of Geranus. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had been often chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart, and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day, among the tombs in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. And I want you to see this as we're reading this. I want you to think through this. If you've got especially a family member or a friend or something who's maybe in the, the, the uh, strength of addiction, the bondage of addiction, they are not the problem. Satan is the problem. Don't treat them as your enemy. We don't shoot hostages in the war, okay? In no war do you shoot hostages. So this man that everybody else was trying to bind up and chain and isolate, and understandably, because there were some issues, Jesus didn't treat him as the enemy. He recognized who the enemy was, which was Satan, and dealt with the enemy, not the person. Now, with that in mind, when, Jesus, when he saw Jesus from a distance, this is the, the man who was possessed, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, what do you want from me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. In the Matthew telling of this, he adds, have you come to torture me before the appointed time? There is a time coming, but not this day. 
So Jesus asks him, what is your name? And he says, uh, we're skipped down to verse 9, my name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And then he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. Verse 11, a large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission, and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, that's a lot of pigs, rushed down the steep bank and into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and the countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demons-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. And then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. Verse 18, as Jesus was getting into the boat to leave, Jesus doesn't stay someplace where he's not wanted, just so you know. If you're not inviting him in, he's not going to force himself on you. Jesus, uh, verse 19, 18, the man who had been possessed, had been uh, healed, was begging to go with Jesus, but Jesus did not let him, but said, no, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you how he has had mercy on you. And so the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. That's God's word. Let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that your word today will be a light and a lamp for us. And in this topic of demons, which seems so heavy and scary to some of us, Lord. Would you give us the revelation and the realization of exactly what you've done for us and what you continue to do for us? There's power in your name. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I'm struck by something here, which is this. These folks had seen the power of these demons in this man. This was a man they could not bind up They couldn't control him at all. And then once Jesus came, they see Jesus, this guy now, the the demons are obeying him. They go into these pigs, and these demons kill 2,000 pigs, okay? They have just seen this happen. Nobody could control the demons, but Jesus could. The demons begged to stay here. Don't send us out of this area. Did you catch that? These people are begging Jesus to leave the same place the demons are begging to stay. We'll take our chances with the demons, Jesus, but please stay out of my business. Now, that struck me because that's what's happening in our country right now. There's shootings on just this week, another shooting in Virginia. We've got laws on abortion being passed that are just fascinatingly bad in Illinois just this week. No restrictions at all. And we're begging Jesus, as a culture, I'm speaking as a culture, begging Jesus to leave and we can handle this ourselves. That's what the people in the Decapolis said. We can handle this, but Jesus, we need you to leave. And in the words of the great poet, Dr. Phil, 
How's that working out for you? <laughs> How did it work out for the Decapolis? Not good. You can go there now. Uh, my wife and I are going to get to go this summer. Thank you, savages. To Rome. And we're going to see like the ruins of what happens to a society that rejects Jesus. Which you can visit the museum, but not the people because they're long gone. Now that said, this, just this week, and if you're a news junkie like I am, you might have noticed in just the past year or so, the uptick of stories about exorcisms. I mean, the Drudge Report, don't, if you read that, don't raise your hand, but, but the Drudge Report alone, almost every week has got some story on there about an exorcism. In America right now, this is a story from the Atlantic in December of 2018. These guys are not exactly known as any sort of a conservative thought at all. But in the Atlantic, this piece in December, so this is what, six months ago? Was talking about the uptick in demon possession in America. And it says here, the polls conducted recent decades by Gallup and by the data firm YouGov suggest that roughly half of Americans believe demonic possession is real. The percentage who believe in the devil is even higher and in fact has been growing. Gallup polls show that the number rose from 55% in 1990 to 70% in 2007. In that 30 or so years, belief in the devil has grown extensively. And if you've read it all, you know that belief in Jesus, belief in Christianity has declined at the same rate during the same period. Jesus, please stay out of our business. We'll take our chances. We can handle this ourselves. And I love this. Perhaps as a result, <laughs> demand for exorcisms, the Catholic Church's antidote to demonic possession seems to be growing as well. Though the church does not keep official statistics, the exorcists I interviewed for this article attest to fielding more pleas for help every year. Father Vincent Lampert, the official exorcist for the Archdiocese of Indianapolis. What a fascinating job that would be. Like Mike Rowe's dirty job says, yet they got one more <laughs> to find out. Go visit the exorcists at the uh, diocese. He told me in early October that he had received 1,700 phone or email requests for exorcisms in 2018, by far the most he's ever gotten in one year. Father Gary Thomas, a priest whose training as an exorcist in Rome was documented in The Right, a book published in 2009, made into a movie 2011, said that he gets at least a dozen requests a week. Later in this article, they say that there are 5,000 requests in Italy alone in 2018 for exorcisms. Begging Jesus to leave, we can handle this ourselves. That's what they did in Decapolis. It's what our culture is doing now. And I would challenge to say that that has been the scheme of Satan since the beginning of his fall. And today, that's what we're going to talk about. We only have a few minutes. But I want to share with you what I think the scheme of Satan is. And I want to share with you what I think the scam of that scheme is. And then I want to share with you the scope, and it's all right here in Mark 5. You can see how Jesus dealt with these demons. The scope of his power and then ultimately, I want to show you the hope, which is the scorching of his power. And if you are a Baptist, you have got to have loved that I just did four words in one. Can we just for a moment acknowledge that that was. <laughs> I, dude, I grew, up, I grew up Pentecostal. We didn't write sermons. We just gave the sermon. You know what I'm saying? Like we conduits of the sermon. 
Seriously, I didn't even know you had to write a sermon. We just thought you went up there and just gave the Holy Ghost. But the scheme that Satan has from the very beginning of his fall was very simple. It is that you and I are on our own, that we can handle this ourselves, that we don't need God. In fact, God is holding out on you. And if you will just rise up and take this place yourself, you'll be just fine. God's holding out on you. And we know this because in Ezekiel 28, verse 17, it speaks of Satan, and it says that your heart, you became proud on account of your beauty, and you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. By the way, all these images from Dante and on of what Satan looks like are just an artist's imagination. There is no record in the scripture of his, of his appearance changing. When he comes as an angel of light, he's beautiful. Like it's, I think he loves it that we think that he has fangs and a tail and a pitchfork and all the poking. And, because that one we can ignore. But that's not how he comes to us. He comes as an angel of light because he is an angel. Beautiful. And it was because of that, his pride, that he said, I'm going to do this. And then in Isaiah 14, verse 14, I will ascend above the top of the clouds. And listen, I will make myself like the most high. Pride in who he was and equality with God. That was the sin from the beginning of time. It was the sin in the garden. Didn't he go to Eve and say, he's holding out on you. Look how awesome you are. He says, don't eat from this tree because he knows you'll be like him. You can't even trust him. So you can rise up and do this yourself. Just be proud. Do that. Take it. Equal. Equality with God. Now, was it a real apple and a real tree, a real fruit? By the way, the Bible doesn't say apple. I don't know. What I do know is this. It's not just that now they knew what was right and wrong. It was that they now were going to decide what was right and wrong. I'm going to, the knowledge of good and evil, I'm going to make the decision. I'm going to rise up and be equal with God. The designer is the definer of our morality. And by rising up and doing that, what the lie was for them, the scheme was, you're on your own. You can handle this. You don't need him. And by the way, when Paul says in 2 Corinthians 2, 11-ish, we are not ignorant of his schemes, of Satan's schemes. That specific passage is actually talking somewhat about forgiveness and prayer. If you're holding unforgiveness against somebody, even that is you saying, I'm on my own. I can't trust that God can deal with this. I've got to take power into my own hands. I've found in my life that I have become a situational atheist. That in this situation where I need God, I'm holding on for dear life and I know I need him here. But in this situation over here, I got this one. I'll handle this one. That's called being a situational atheist. And God is saying, oh, no, no. Well, I appreciate your enthusiasm. That doesn't work in any situation. You need me in all situations. The scheme of Satan is that you're on your own. You can't trust him, whether it's trying to forgive your neighbor, whether it's in your marriage, whether it's in your finances. It is all about holding on to him, and can he help you for it? The scheme is that you have to take care of it yourself. And that is not just his scheme. It's a scam. The scam is that it doesn't work. This man, this demoniac who, the more it says that they bound him and they couldn't, and then eventually they could not bind him anymore. It speaks of a digression into his life. Of, I started this, 
just doing it was just for fun. I was just talking to a gentleman from first service who spoke of his descent into addiction. That he was like, he was like, I was the most popular kid in high school. I had the, you know, the whole thing and the, the yearbook. And, and before I knew it, I was seven years into a, a heroin problem. Because addiction knows no socioeconomic. It, it, we're all, but the point is I started this one way and I end up just like this demoniac, which is now I can't control it anymore. And I'm wondering how I got here. And that's the scam of Satan is that your choice of my truth, your truth doesn't lead to freedom. It leads to bondage because we're all serving something. We're all serving somebody. Whatever I make of paramount in my life, anything besides God I'm going to serve that. You, you may do it with your career. You might do it with your ministry. I know lots of pastors and ministers who have fallen, and at the core of it ultimately was that they were saying, I'm on my own. I've got to do this on my own, and they were crushed under the weight of the freedom they thought they wanted, and it actually was a scam, and it switched out, and it destroyed them. Now, by the way, if that's where you are today, and you're like this man demons and I, I don't know, I, I can't stop. I'm, there's hope. Do you think that this guy, this demoniac, he didn't sign up for this ride, but here he was, and there was no hope from anybody in town, but there was hope from Jesus, and that is the hope that you have, because the hope is that his power, Satan's power, there is a scope of that power. There is a beginning and an end. There is a limit to what he can do. You notice when these demons wanted to, they're coming down, they're bowing down. Every knee will bow, every tongue confess, Jesus, son of the most high. That is a time that is coming for them. They're not going to do it because God has got a sword at their throat. They're going to do it because it's true. And the scope of that power is that Jesus, can we do this? Please don't torture us before our appointed time. Please, can we just stay here? They couldn't do anything that Jesus wouldn't allow them to do. Let that sink in for a minute. Have you ever lived in a neighborhood where there's like a dog and everybody knows this dog and nobody wants to go near this dog because you're scared to death of this dog? Nobody? Do they not do that in their society? Yeah, maybe they, I don't know when they don't have those dogs anymore. When I was a kid, we had a dog like that. There was a dog. Shannon laughed earlier, at first service. That's actually our dog in our neighborhood. But anyway, <laughs> but we keep him. He's like geriatric now. We keep him up in, in upstairs and medicated. But, um, we, <laughs> but here's the thing. The dog in the town I grew up in, I think there was a cartoon about this, if I remember right, but he had a chain on him. And that dog was vicious. But as long as that chain held, you're just fine. And almost every time you'd walk by the house, that dog would just <laughs> yank backwards. <laughs> and almost every time he was like surprised, like that was the first time that had happened. <laughs> Satan, uh, I was watching a, a talk this week from the Q Conference. Is anybody familiar with Q Conference? Q Conferences where smart people, intelligent, sophisticated people go and ask questions. This year they had a, a talk from a, uh, an exorcist from Pennsylvania. Was it Pennsylvania, Eddie? Do you remember? Pennsylvania. Let's just say it's Pennsylvania. For the, for, the, for the sake of this discussion, it was Pennsylvania. This guy is an exorcist, and he was talking about, and by the way, I, well, I'm about to open up a big can. Um, I believe that in Catholicism, their techniques and whatever, they're not the gospel. I just want to lay that out there. We can talk about it later. 
But he was saying in his environment that these demonic possessions, that demons are very legalistic, that they will only do what they are allowed to do and nothing more. And their rules right now for you that Jesus said, yes, you can stay here. Yes, you've got to get out of that man. No, you're not coming back in. I mean, Jesus left that man there in that, with the same demons, okay? They're not going back to him because they're not allowed to. A demon is only allowed to do what God will allow him to do. Now, that said, the one thing that this priest said that I thought was fascinating and true was that the pushback that they give against you, that the kingdom of darkness can put against you, is strength training for us. I think his exact words, if you just lay around eating grapes, you don't get stronger. You get stronger with pushback, with tension, with battle. So the, he believes that that's part of why the demonic is still even here today, that part of the battle is, and they will one day, and we're going to talk about that, be destroyed. But during this day, we're being made stronger, and I believe stronger for even eternity, not just for here. The scope of their power is governed by God. And I say that because I talked to a few people in the last week who've said that they have dealt with a fear of they themselves might be demon-possessed or could become possessed by the devil. And I want to say this, if you don't hear anything else I say today, if you are a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Do you think for a second that the Holy Spirit's going to clean out a guest room for a demon. Hey, you can come crash here, demon. You can hang out in this part. We're going to clean up this room for you. No, nothing, all or nothing. And he, there is no way for you as a Christian to be possessed by the devil. There just isn't. So you don't have to be afraid of that. And not only do you not have to be afraid of that, when you realize that the scope of his power is only what Jesus will allow... You realize that the same power that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. You can speak to any demonic force in the same way that Jesus did. We've done that before. And, if, and by the way, if you're a Westerner and you're sophisticated and this is really insulting your intelligence, understand that one-third of Jesus' ministry, of his supernatural ministry, one-third of his miracles dealt with the demonic so if you're too sophisticated for this, you're too sophisticated for Jesus. Point being, this stuff is real and it's alive and it's not only happening in our country, we have seen it overseas. Last year in the Ugandan church, remember this, Holly? <laughs> We're praying for this woman. This church is being born. And I, I went over and I touched her hand. She had her hands in the air and she was worshiping. I thought. So I touch her hand, and she starts winding up. Kyle, were you standing there? It was crazy. Like, 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 you know, like a bottle rocket about to go off? And then it went off. And this woman was way possessed. And I remember stepping back going, okay, can we get some professionals over here? We need some of the professionals. <laughs> There's an army of young Ugandan men and women that are being trained in Alex Matala's ministry specifically for fighting against these things. And that woman, as weird and crazy as what, if you've never seen this, never heard of it, know this, that woman that day went home free. First time I was there with my daughter, Lauren. I think it was Lauren. 
It was the first time we were, a church was planted. And, and I don't know if you've ever, you've traveled internationally before, especially in developing nations as a preacher. Uh, you just got to be ready. So we're standing there, and my only job that day is to pray for the food. The church is planted. There's like a thousand people there. They have slaughtered a pig or a cow or maybe both. And so, and I'm kind of hungry, if I'm being honest. I'm, I'm actually bordering on hangry. So I think that I'm, he says, you're just going to pray for the food. That's what I think I'm doing. Pray for the food in Jesus' name, amen. And I go to hand the microphone back to Alex Matala. And Alex says, uh, no, now you will preach the gospel. I'm like, okay, so now we preach the gospel. Um, <laughs> and you know what? A whole bunch of people got saved that day. It was crazy, like crazy. Because in those environments, you're saying, look, I'm not asking you to add something to your list. I don't want you to add a God to your list. I need you to tear up your list. There is no other God with witchcraft and voodoo. Those things are all destroying you. A bunch of people get saved. And so I go to hand the microphone back to Matala thinking, done, done my job. And I'm hungry now. And he says, and now we cast out demons. five years ago. So I'm like, I can tell you what, Alex, I'm going to hand this to you because that, and I told Lauren, let's step back. It's about to get real in here. And, <laughs> and in that room of a thousand people, a couple dozen people went home free that day because Satan's power has a scope. It is limited and it is 100% obedient to Christ. When we first started going to Haiti, years ago, when we'd walk down the street and we'd see these voodoo temples. The young men that we would walk with, or even the young women, would want to walk on the other side of the street because they were scared. And I was young and naive enough back then to think they were scared about they're going to come out with a machete because I've seen the news. Like, I know what happens here. I'm... But that wasn't what they were scared of because that wasn't what they were going to do. That is not what the Haitian people are about. They were scared because they thought that the demons would get on them. The demons from voodoo would get on them and possess them. So they were so scared, they lived in fear of these voodoo temples. So it was my great pleasure to get to teach them about the same power that raised Christ from the dead that dwells in them to show them that his power is so limited that 6,000 demons had to obey Jesus. Jesus didn't even take his sword out and open up a can of whoop God. He just says, stop it. You're done. Do you know like Rambo, like I got a new Rambo movie coming out. Do you know that? That dude's like a hundred, but, but he's going to do, here's what's going to happen with Rambo. Rambo's going to fight this whole army. He's going to blow stuff up with the bow and the arrow and the whole production and good for Sylvester Stallone. Jesus didn't even have to do that. It would be like Rambo going up to the great battle and saying, shut up and sit down. And they did. That's the power that Christ has, and that's the power that you have. And by the way, three of those voodoo temples are now shut down, and the priests given their lives to Christ, and the villages are becoming free. Because the same power that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. His power is limited, and there is a scope to it. And I tell you this, there is a timeline to it. Because one day that power is going to be scorched of the enemy. The power of Satan will be scorched and swallowed up. Notice something. Where do they fall? Into the lake. The demons, they fell into a lake. Now they knew, they know, don't, or you've come to torture us before the time? Do you think maybe at the moment they're all falling into the lake? that they're like, oh, he tricked us. 
Because at the end of time, Revelation 20 tells us they're all going to be thrown into a lake. This time, not a lake of water, but a lake of fire. That is the power that Jesus has. And one day he will scorch it all. Revelation tells us that it was a host, uh, one-third of the heavenly host that came with Lucifer. Hebrews tells us that that host was innumerable. There's no way to number it. That's God saying, I, I made so many angels, I can't even count them. He says, I know how many hairs are on your head, but I can't count the angels. It was an innumerable number. And every one of those one-third innumerable numbers that have been here for thousands of years to torture, to oppress, to possess, and to defeat you will all be thrown into a lake of fire where they will be tortured. That is the appointed time forever. And we can rest in that. So what do we do in the meantime? How do we handle our lives this side of heaven, knowing that there is an enemy whose job it is to tempt, to steal, to kill, and to destroy? How do we live in a war zone might be a better question. And the way that we do that is not being defensive, cowering and hiding, believing the scheme that I'm on my own and I can't do this. No, when the Bible says, when Jesus says that the gates of hell shall not prevail against my church, he was speaking of an offensive, not a defensive. That we are to assault the gates of hell. On. So, when... Jennifer Orton heads to Kenya next week. Jennifer is going to be finishing up. They're building a school. How many kids are in your school? Stand up. Let's stand up. I'm sorry. How about we just wing this? How many kids are in your school? There's a lot of people in here today. I know. <laughs> and it's really hot. <laughs> Probably about this many. We have 285 students at our school. And these are kids from neighborhoods that are in... Tell us about their, their life. So it's the bush, basically. It's a little small village, and 80% of our school are orphans, and so they live in clay huts with their grandmothers or aunts. Um, to be an orphan, you have to lose either a mother or father, but the majority of our students are total orphans, so they've lost both, and they're probably living in a little clay hut, um, maybe the size of, like, the toddler room with, like, five or six other siblings or cousins. Yeah. So... I didn't prep you this ahead of time, but just so let the Holy Spirit let the blank go. Uh, if, they, if you could get one thing today that you knew, if I could get this, this would totally change the game for us. Just what's the first word that comes to your mind? So you're thinking. It's conduit. It's being surrounded with people like you to allow people like me to go to a third world country and shed the love of Jesus to all of them. So let's send her today. I'm going to put buckets in the back. If you feel led today to send, uh, just write a check, just a little bit, a lot, whatever the Holy Spirit's telling you to do. Can we put buckets in the back, and then we will write, just write Kenya in the memo line. If you want to go online. Mo, what would they put in the memo line online? <laughs> we can tell what Mo's thinking about. <laughs> Put Orton in the memo line and online, just put it, we'll put Orton on there, we'll make sure. So when you guys go, whatever, we'll just believe that whatever God's gonna send is what you need, and we wanna send you out with that as a warrior onto the front lines. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, we wanna send 
Jennifer and her team back to Kenya, back to the front lines of the kingdom of darkness to allow the kingdom of God to flow in. We pray that she will have everything that she needs, that Chris, as he stays here with the boys, will have everything that he needs, that he will be protected, that whatever the enemy wants to do while she's gone, that those plans are thwarted as well, that we do not have to uh, receive or accept any of what the enemy might want to do to them. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Guys, so here's what I want you to hear from that. When you donate to something like that, that is not just a check. You have literally just poked a dragon in the butt. Because you're saying that those kids who 80% would literally not be going to school because the kingdom of this world says they're not worth it that the principalities and powers, the demonic forces, remember, those demons couldn't leave that area. They had to stay. They wanted to stay. The principalities and the powers, and by the way, Satan says in Revelation 2, I think, that his throne is in Pergamos, which is modern-day Turkey. Satan is not omnipresent. He's not omnipotent. He's a fallen angel. He has to take in certain areas. So there's a a demons, there are principalities and powers in Kenya that say those children are not worth it. And the kingdom of God says they're so worth it that I'm going to wake up Chris and Jennifer Orton, send them halfway around the world to remind them that they're worth it. And when they get an education, when they're getting clean water, when they're getting food, when they're getting a chance, do you think that is God's will for their life? We are pushing back the demonic in that kingdom. At the end of this year, as always, we got yet another opportunity to go with us somewhere. You think when we do these short-term mission trips that we have the chance not just to go do a trip. We are going to the front lines and pushing back the kingdom of darkness. David is going to lead a team going at the end of the year in December to after Christmas. You're going to be working with Rob and Amanda Juilliard who are working. They're part of our church family, working with women who have been abused, beaten, tortured, and left for dead. They have, there's no system, there's nowhere to go, but they can go to El Refugio, which is, El Refugio is the refuge in Spanish. When you are going there to work with Rob and Amanda, what you're saying is to the kingdom of darkness, she is worth something. She's worth something so much that I'll flag halfway around the world to tell them that she's worth it. And that woman, those women right now and their children are sleeping through the night, maybe for the first time in their entire life. Because they're not worried about being assaulted, about being raped, about being murdered, and they're sleeping in a place called the refuge. And in that place, that is casting out demons every bit as much as what Jesus did to that man in Decapolis. Michaela, stand up. Michaela, how old are you? Michaela's 18. Tell us what you're planning to do with your year. Um, so in September, I'll be traveling to Guatemala for three months, and then after that, Ethiopia for three months, and then after that, Thailand for three months for a nine-month missions trip with the World Race Gap Year program. How much money do you have left to raise? $14,000 <laughs> before October. So I've got some time. you got some time. But $14,000 is a lot of money, right? But Jesus can sneeze $14,000, okay? So understand <laughs> that he can provide this. How can they support you? Um, <clears throat> so you can go on my website, which is michaelaboyd.theworldrace.org, and there's like a donate button, and then it goes straight to my mission. 
or you can write me a check, or you can pray for me like the Dickens. Just pray as much as you can. Dickens praying. I love that praying. Let's pray. Let's do that right now. Heavenly Father, we are sending Michaela. Oh, at that age, how much the world needs more that would say yes to what Jesus is calling him to do. And I pray, Lord, I'm not even going to pray for it to be blessed because it's something you're already doing, so it's already blessed. But I do pray that her provision will come. Uh, at that age, $14,000 is a lot of money. At my age, $14,000 is a lot of money. But where you guide, you provide. So we pray that those provisions will come for you now. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd say, well, let's make it simple. Let's just donate online at Conduit, and we can just whatever 100% goes through. If you, if, it's like a GoFundMe campaign. I'm sorry. But I just felt led today that that's a way for us to send out and to do spiritual warfare right now. You can step out this door right now and do spiritual warfare by helping those to go that are going by going yourself. If you've never been before, look, if God's not calling you to go, well, don't do that. By all means, don't do that. But if he's calling you to do, I dare you to put your yes on the table today. And then whatever his request is, that you say yes to him. Because when we do that, we will one day stand beside Jesus as Satan himself is being thrown into this lake, but this time it's a lake of fire. We can all look back in one day, sit around the campfires of heaven, telling the war stories just like your grandpa used to do. But these are the war stories of eternity, the stories of a great dragon who wiped out a third of the heavenly host and who even at that was defeated. Doesn't that sound like a way better option? Isn't that a way better way to live? Not living in fear and also not living in ignorance and just, Paul says, let's not be ignorant of Satan's schemes. He'd love nothing more than for you not to believe in him. He'd love nothing more for you to sit around and act like nothing's happening. But nobody in this room can walk away today saying they know that. You know. And now I'm inviting you to join that great adventure of following Jesus into the great battlefield of the kingdom.